All right. Well, what we have tonight is a, a q and I'm going to ask a number of small group leaders that were excited to participate in our, uh, our Q&A tonight to come on up. Or, uh, and we are going to talk tonight about biblical finance. Uh, you have a little handout on your table that is basically blank. Um, and you can leave it sitting there and do nothing with it. If you want to take some notes, if there's something said that is helpful... Um, and uh, we, we did a Q&A a couple of months ago at the end of our Essentials for Families series. And uh, I, I mentioned then that what we are trying to do is to balance the biblical principles that are authoritative for our life. Thus says the Lord, we all have to do this, with sharing some practical wisdom and experience, either from things that the Lord has allowed us to do well or things that we've learned the hard way. Um, and so some of what we will share tonight in answering questions is purely, hey, this is what we did or tried to do or what we changed how we did because we learned some things in that way. Um, you, your family and your life do not have to look exactly like any one person up here. They certainly don't have to look like the best of every couple and family up here. Um, but we do hope that it's a, a helpful thing to talk a little more practically. So you guys submitted an awesome list of questions um, it's, it's a relatively long list of questions. We're going to do our best to hit the highlights of those questions and, um, and kind of work through categories. It's my job to kind of keep us moving. It's uh, everybody else's job to kind of help keep us moving by, um, by answering briefly but helpfully as we, as we go. All right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with um, the theme of giving. We talked about uh, about how the Lord calls us to be gracious and generous in our giving, and uh, there's wisdom involved in thinking through that biblically. And so uh, the first question that was asked related to this was, what is the correct view of tithing? Anybody want to answer the correct view of tithing? How should we think about tithing? Very good. So as we think of giving cheerfully and... Uh, in accordance with how the Lord has blessed us. A couple questions about kind of how to think about that and prioritize that. One of those is related to debt. Should some or all debts be paid prior to giving? I, um, I don't think so. Um, debt is debt. But giving is giving, and I would separate the two. Um, giving should be there. It may not be as much as you desire, but giving should still be there because it's an act of worship. And if you're not doing it, then you're not worshiping in that way. And God has given you something, and you should give something. And the goal would be is how can I get out of debt so I can give more to others and to the church? And obviously one of the principles of debt is that we are are to pay back what we owe. And so there, there can be situations where somebody legitimately does not have enough money to pay back what they owe, and giving would be adding to your debt and really giving someone else's money. Um, but the question was like, you know, car loan, mortgage, things that you are planning to pay off in a, a regular schedule. And um, we definitely agree with Steve that um, you can be generous and give while fulfilling those debts as, as you are obligated. How about balancing the prioritization of giving to others and saving for the future. Most of you, if you are married, have two slightly different perspectives about giving and saving, I would guess. 
and I think that's that's part of the beauty of marriage is you know we're we're all wired um, in different ways, and there's biblical wisdom and and on both of those things, and that's where communication with a husband and wife can be helpful to where maybe I'm more prone you know to just save and save and save, and my wife is more prone to to give, and we can help each other to where there's a balanced biblical perspective, recognizing both things are, are reasonable for us to do, but we want to be, um, be consistent in those. So, um, One of the things that you guys segued into, Jordan, beautifully, is if I know a family at church who's struggling financially, what is the best way to help them? And um, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, and, and I think this is a... Um, something that I, I just want you guys to understand a little bit of how countryside functions um, so that for your own sake or the sake of others, um, you know, you guys see every month when we take communion, we have a benevolence offering. Um, one of the reasons for that is because we know that God has been generous to us and we want to be generous to others. We also know that not every individual can meet the need of every other individual that they have a relationship with. And so I may know of a need that I'm not in a financial position to meet. Now, it may be something that I can, that I can, can we, we can do a meal for somebody or we can do something that is a, a blessing to them. Um, and so the Benevolence Fund is a way to say, okay, as a church, we can collect funds to meet larger needs that maybe individually we couldn't meet, or it just allows the elders and the leadership of the church to be a part of the shepherding of those needs. As a church, we want to be generous. We want to be eager to help those that are in need, first within our congregation, but then outside of our congregation. And, and so we want to be generous. We also want to be wise stewards, helping people to grow in, uh, in the stewardship of what God's given as we are faithful in that way. And so we have a benevolence policy as leadership that guides our decisions and directions um, it's not extensive, and it doesn't deal with every nuance of what happens. The elders approve benevolence. There's certain dollar amounts that um, that require um, multiple elders or other things to be uh, to be handled, and and uh, in those ways. So, you know, if it's, it, I would say the answer to this question: if you know someone who's struggling financially, you know that can mean an immediate need that you may be able to meet. It may mean some counsel and help that you can give, or it may mean you say. Hey, there's a there's there's folks at the church who would love to help you and to talk about those things, and um, would just encourage you to to do that and and to reach out and maybe you can help connect them to one of the elders or pastors who would be eager to talk to them. We also have some men in the church and others who do financial counseling, so um, it's not always the pastors or elders who are going to get involved in the in the details. Rarely it is but there's others who are gifted in that way who, who help. And so um, I would say by giving personally to meet the needs of others, as you know, is great, by giving regularly to the Benevolence Fund and by encouraging those that you know of that have need um, to, be, to be willing to, to go and seek, seek help. And, and, and obviously there's different, we've, we've talked in, in the context of, uh, and I'm talking too long, I need to stop. We're, we'll move on <laughs> to budgeting. There's only 14 more questions, some of which have three parts. So how, moving on to budgeting, and they're all good questions. I was like super impressed with your questions. How, uh, budgeting question, um, you know, how do I change my mindset to not spend discretionary money right away? 
How do I change my mindset to not spend discretionary money right away? On the first of the month. On the first of the month, you can. Any other thoughts on, and maybe maybe broadening to just how you train yourself to function under a budget, so that you're not constantly, you know, spending. Let's talk a little bit about making decisions about your budget um, and saving and thinking of of things for the future. Two questions related to that. Um, First one that I want us to talk about is, is, is it appropriate to save for a vacation once a year? You know, in some ways, that's a broader issue of, you know, how much of our money should we spend on things that are maybe not considered essential necessities? Um, and so how, how should we think about, um, about those things? I agree vacations are good, and I agree it's good to save for them and plan for them instead of um, just doing them and going into debt for them. That's, that's not ideal. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be home a lot of that month. <laughs> but don't tell anybody. No. Um. <laughs> Come hang out. Um, extra funds at the end of the month. Uh, if, if somebody has a situation where maybe their income fluctuates or um, maybe they're they're still figuring out where to allocate some some money that's discretionary that hasn't been assigned yet, and they're considering things like putting that towards debt, um, like the highest you know rate of a credit card or or those things, increasing giving, giving to others like parents. How would you encourage or have you made decisions about that as you have been in those situations? I think the. Um I would pay. I would personally look at paying off the debts first, um, not first, primary. Not that you couldn't give more, not that you couldn't do other things, but primary is to get rid of the debt because that will free you in the future to do more giving and to give to others. I mean, it's it's a it's a burden. It's a, you're a slave to it, and we want that. You know, mortgage is one thing, but things that are depreciating, like credit cards, whatever you bought with that, or a a car. Those things, I would, I would loosen the strings of that tie, of that debt first, and then it will allow you to give more to others and to the church and, and, and do these other things you would enjoy doing, especially in giving to others. And one of the things you can do in advance um, is part of your planning is to sit down and say, okay, if we have some extra funds that come in, what would be our priorities for that? And talk through them together. What are some things we, you know, where would we like that to go? And it does help just to make sure you're on uh, the same plane together. All right. How about planning and investing? Um, as we think about planning, one thing we didn't talk a lot about in, uh, in our study was life insurance. And um, so the question was asked, what is an appropriate amount of life insurance for the working spouse um, or for a stay-at-home mom? And uh, related to that, how do you prepare yourself or your family to be a good steward from the financial gain of life insurance? Um, so maybe the, the first one, how do you think about life insurance at different stages of life? Yep. And what you hear in some of these things is, again, is there a thus says the Lord that this is exactly how much you should have? There's not. There's wisdom in planning and anticipating the future and thinking carefully about those things. Those needs do change over time. Our, our kids are now 14 to 21, 
Um, so if if something were to happen to Christy, our need of childcare and things is significantly less and significantly less periods of time. I don't know that we've adjusted her life insurance in a while, so that I would I would her passing would be eased, <laughs> but not really. Um, you know, and but those are things that as we determined the length of policies, term life insurance, at some point, um, those things played out in our decision making. So, you know, we, we don't need life insurance on Christie forever, um, but to get through that season of life is uh, as we've looked at options in that way. So thinking how long you need it, not only how much, affects some of those decisions. But um, How do you prepare yourself or your family to be a good steward from a financial gain of life insurance? Yeah, either your spouse, you, your spouse, or your kids. Short answer, I think, is strive to be a good steward now and try to teach and model that for your kids um, in those ways. Yeah, no. I mean, like, again, if you have modeled and taught a, like, you know, like the Binghams were saying, a heart that uh, reflects the priorities of Scripture and God's own heart, then then they're going to be prepared. Again, they're going to want to seek counsel. So Jonathan has given me a list of names. You know, if he goes, go talk to them, and they'll help you, you know, financially think through some of those decisions. But, but again, I think what you said. I think when you're, when you're getting a policy of whatever it might be, of how much do you get, a salesperson would want you to say, oh, five million sounds good. How about 10? Can I, what can I give you? And what can you afford? If you're already looking at this is all I need, you're already thinking about if it's 500,000, whatever it might be, that is, you're, 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 there's something going through your mind about why you need that 500 and not a million or a million and not 500 million, whatever it might be. There is a reason you're saying that. That means you can, you're planning already. So think about why, why you need what you need and don't get more than what you really need because they will try to sell it to you. <laughs> Investing. Uh, question was, is it considered gambling to invest in stocks or bonds, or when could or would it turn into that? That was actually the next question, but <laughs> I would say the, the Proverbs warn about seeking to get rich quick. And if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and so if the goal of investing is man, I think, you know, in a short period of time, I can get massive returns and not have to do anything. That's, that's where you have gone from planning for the future and, and making wise decisions to just hoping to get rich quick. Um, at, at the same time, investing can be done well, and we live in a, an economic time where there are factors to consider with wisdom as you seek to plan for the future. And and um, and so it's not inherently gambling, but it, it could be in different ways. And that's something to be wise in. And, and obviously different ones in this room have more comfort and understanding of things like math and economics. And, and so it's, it's, not, um, it's not something we need to make those decisions on our own. It's, it's reasonable to seek counsel from others, whether that's good paid advisors or others as we just people who are wise that you can seek counsel in to help you in that. Um, to that end, if, if any, are there, um, or are there any additional tips, advice, or classes for investing available? And the answer to that is yes. And we're probably not going to tell you 
what you should do to invest. But if anybody has any good advice on those things or how to find that, um, happy for someone to answer. Mm -hmm. But as Jordan said, we're not trying to sell you some super secret thing. I think there are many older folks here at the church who have done very successful work and have invested well and have thought deeply about these things and have been successful in it. And they, I would say seek counsel if you don't know. Because if you don't know and you're putting money into something, that's gambling. You don't know. <laughs> you're just hoping that it will, against hope, that it will do something for you. So being informed and seeking counsel would be, even, even my own wife, because I have a tendency to be a little more aggressive at something, and she'll go, well, I don't know, what is that? And, and she'll drive down that, that ladder and ask those 10 questions, and I go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'll back down. But she's my counsel in that, in that, in that sense. Yeah, I think you, you raise a good point. You know, they're called financial advisors, which means their goal is is to help you understand what you're doing and to help you make good decisions, not to tell you, um, you know, here's what you should do. And if there's somebody telling you this is exactly what you should do, um, you should maybe be leery of that. Um, but seeking to grow and, and gain wisdom is, is important. All right, let's talk about money and kids. This is kind of where we were building towards a um, number of questions that way. Uh, as we think about not only our stewardship, but how to help our kids, instruct our kids, model for our kids, um, let's, let's think a little bit about allowance for kids. Is giving an allowance to kids biblical? What age? Um, some follow-up questions that we can get into. How do you decide the appropriate amount? Um, what about chores and earning money versus just being faithful in your home to do stuff and serve? How, how do you think about those things as parents? So I know a lot of you have a number of children. We only had two children, and we had more work to go around than two children. So our children did work, but often we would have other kids come over that were older that we would ask them to come and help do chores around our house. Or mainly it was yard work, harder yard work or pasture work or something like that. And I always found it interesting and a, a good, I don't know if this is, really what we should have done, but we would always say, so how much would you like us to pay you? And we had some boys over, and they worked hard, and they said, well, you know, just a dollar would be fine. And we're like, you're coming back every time we need something done. <laughs> of course, we didn't pay them a dollar, but that was the heart attitude that we wanted our children to learn from doing work, even for others, and um, those boys are still fine young men, so it's great great experience with those kids. Of course, they were countrysiders. <laughs> so a really quick comment on the other end of the spectrum with allowance. Um, the Andersons have not always just given allowance. But, <laughs> but, but one thing that I appreciate that we have done that I think has been helpful is we have allocated, like funds that we've already allocated for things like um, shampoo, conditioner, toothpaste, those things, we've divided it up so that they can spend that money. So it's already like, we already are going to, and so at different seasons, we've given them the money to make those choices so that they can have opportunity to um, spend money and see how much those things cost and make those decisions. So that's like the kind of allowance, again, that we've kind of sometimes given. We've never given like as much like every month you get this but we have sometimes given them allocated funds for them to use discretionary as they would discern to do that. 
allowance we have. And I, I think the way I, I would think of allowance is it's kind of the money they're going to ask you to spend. And so if, if you get tired of your four-year-old asking you every time you go to the gas station, can, I buy a, can we buy a pack of gum today? Um, one thing you can do is say, well, sometimes I'm going to say yes. So I'm going to give you three bucks, and you can decide this month when we buy the pack of gum, and when the three bucks is gone, it's gone. And so you're not really giving them money necessarily that you wouldn't give them anyway. You're just letting them gain some experience in managing that money. And that, that was kind of what Christy was referring to, where like we, um, and my parents did this super rigidly when I was growing up. Um, there was a time when I think they had me track like every dollar that they spent on me. And it was like, it was my job to do it. And I wanted to do it well because then that got to the point where they said, okay, you averaged $137 a month. You now get $137 a month, and you're responsible for all those things. And so it was important that I added well and that I kept track of things or else I was in trouble. And so then I had the chance to manage manage that. They had two kids. We were four years apart. They could do some of that stuff more intentionally than what um, what we have done. And, and so we, we've not gone that far with our kids, but we have tried to give them opportunities to learn about money in our home. Um, and, and for things like paying our kids, you know, if if – if they have a job um, and, and they're going to earn, they're going to contribute towards things that they want to do or things that they're, they're planning to do. If I'm going to pay for something anyway, you know, then I'm also inclined to say, hey, I'm, I'm happy for you to work and I'll pay you to do stuff around the house instead of me just paying for that for you, um, even though they probably know I'd pay for it anyway. But it, it's a game we play to teach them to work and uh, in that way. So, um, you know, high school camp, different things where they're going to, they're, they're earning money, but uh, we're, we're funding it largely, but they're contributing towards that in those ways. Um, and, and we have our kids do stuff without getting paid to. I think that's important to say, hey, you're part of the family, you serve, you get to do stuff. It's not all, you know, every, you know, you took the trash out, where's my dollar? Um, kind of a mindset. What age should we encourage our children to find a job and any ideas for jobs? Just one of the things when we were talking about these questions that I wish we had done differently um, is that when our kids, they started working at 14, they were able to work a couple hours, I don't know, like four hours a week or something at a, at a camp. And then um, by 16, obviously, they could work more. But they can really quickly get very busy. So they have school and they have work. And one of the things that I wish I had done, it's something you might consider, is yes, you can work and work so many hours. But you also need to consider how many hours are you going to put into um, giving time or for others to serving because it can really quickly just as in our own lives your time can get squished out and there's suddenly no time left to serve others and so i wish we had emphasized emphasized that more good thoughts anything else are there specific types of accounts that can be used for children There, there are financial institutions, usually the large ones. I know I, when I worked for Washington Mutual, um, which is now Chase, um, they had specifically accounts for children. 
and the parents were on there at the camp, but they specifically were teaching them how to how to save, and and they would have they had to do the manual checkbook and how to how to actually balance the checkbook, and so they would actually do that. There are some other ones I think Bank America does and Wells Fargo does as well, so they have specifically for children and parents. Yeah, all our kids have a debit card tied to their bank account. Their younger ones, their bank accounts tied to our bank account, so they can't deposit directly into theirs, but we can move money from ours into theirs and. They have different categories like spending, and that's what the debit card can access, saving, or other categories. The debit card can't access that. It's not a credit card. There's no overdraft. Um, it's just they're learning how to manage it in that way. Uh, is it appropriate to match what they earn so they can maybe purchase a reliable vehicle, save for college or wedding, those kinds of things? Yeah, I think don't feel the pressure. We we talked about this last time. Uh, don't feel the pressure to have to do for your kids what you're not in a financial position to do. But if your kids are hardworking and they're striving to make wise decisions and be a good steward and you have the opportunity to help them, I think matching or something that, that demonstrates their commitment can be helpful. But certainly it's not something that you that you have to do. And there could be times where you do more for them and there could be times where you do less, depending on what you're able to and what's wise. Um, I think one danger you can get into is making a loan for your children. Um, we always looked at loans to anybody in our family, no matter who it is, or actually anybody that we give money to, it's a gift. I don't expect anything back. I'm giving it because I don't, we're going to give it, and that's done. And I don't expect anything in return. And, I, and there's no payment plan on it. It's just that's what you desire to do. And I, we consider it, in our, in our accounts, we consider it gone. So you're just being careful when it comes to, to loans with your family, especially children, and doing that. And I, th I, I didn't even think of that, but matching, I think, is really good, even if it's two for one or something. But there's skin in the game for them to actually have ownership in that process. And I think some of that's just us, us knowing, like, hey, my kids are going to get older, and I would like to try to plan for the future. And doesn't mean we've been able to do everything we wished we could do at any season of life, but it is true that I know my kids are getting older, and I know there's things that are coming, and it's right for us to try to make financial decisions in anticipation of that. doesn't mean we'll be able to do all that we wish we could, but we can seek to be, to be faithful in that way. Um, last question. What are practical steps for instilling biblical stewardship in a child's early years? I think seeing the example, but having words, um, using the language, biblical language, and explaining things to them. They can understand more than we probably realize, but explaining things of why. We're, the Lord has blessed us, and this family needs help. We're going to go help them. We're being a good steward because we're, God has given us, and we're going to be helping them. God's using us as an instrument to help them. It's the language and the theology that wraps around everything that we're doing, and we're explaining that to them, why we're doing it, not just... We, we just did this, let's go help them. But why we're doing it, because we are those stewards. And that's how, from an early age, all the way through life, it should be permeating our language and, and how we explain things. I think another thing we can do is um, our money, our funds aren't the only thing that we're stewards of. So they have toys and clothes and beds and things. And, you know, helping them understand that we take care of those because God's given them, given them to us. And we are stewards even in all those things. And so really how we treat anything that God's given us um, is being, you know, learning to be a good steward. 
All right. Thank you all for your good questions, and thank you all for your good answers. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will head to our small groups and uh, have some more time just to share prayer requests and life updates. If you have other questions or if these were not sufficient answers for you, feel free to uh, talk to any of us at any point uh, or find others that you would like to talk to about these things as well. Lots of godly folks that can be an encouragement. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the resources you've given us. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of all of life, of our money and our time and the, the gifts and abilities you've given us and opportunities. We pray that we would live with uh, our focus on you. And uh, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, you've given us principles in your word, uh, wise principles for us to consider as we seek to be faithful stewards. You haven't given us every detail. And I pray that we would uh, think carefully as couples and make decisions that are best for our, our circumstances as we seek to honor you. And Lord, help us not to love money. Help us to love you, and I pray that you would help us in shepherding our kids to direct their hearts towards Christ, that they would be passionate about him and about giving all for him, and that they would recognize the blessing that it is to be able to steward financial resources for his glory, and I pray that that would be um, evidence in, in their hearts and, and modeled in ours. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, for the fact that it speaks to the practical issues of life um, like this, and uh, we just entrust the rest of our night to you in Christ's name. Amen.